Exodus chapter 31, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the tent of the, and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Now today, I really just want to make a very simple point that God has always gifted by the Spirit His people to build a house for His glory. He has always done that. And with each one of these with whom gifts were given, they were given for a specific purpose. And if you remove the person with the gift, you remove something that was built that was inside of that tabernacle. When a giftedness is removed, there is something tangible that we no longer have or we no longer see. So it becomes imperative not only that they did everything that God gifted them to do, but that also we do everything that we are gifted to do. Because as God gifted them to build the tabernacle, there was another generation whom he gifted to build a temple. And we are a part of the generation with whom he is using to build the church. And as they were gifted, we are gifted. And as their temple was filled with the glory of God, our temple, our house will be filled with the glory of God. Because this is exactly what we see. And if we go later, Exodus chapter 40 and verse 33, it said, and so Moses finished the work. Everything that everyone was gifted to do, they actually did. And when the work was finished, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When was the tabernacle filled with the glory of God? When the tent came down, when the cloud came down, when did the cloud come down? after they finished the work. We all have a work to do with the gift within us every single week in coming together and building what God has called us to build. And when we complete that work, what happens is His glory fills the house. 
We see the same exact thing happen in the later generation when they built the temple. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 13, all of the plans that were given to David were then carried out by Solomon and everyone whom God had gifted to do the work. And when the work was done, then the singers and the musicians, they raised a song. It says, when the song was raised, verse 14, the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. There is a great joy when the house of God is filled with people who are networking and building relationships and experiencing community and all of those good things, but there's something greater and higher that is the purpose of us coming together. It is not for us to just see each other and hey, hey. It is that the glory of God might come and fill the house. It is that those of us who, is, who are all of us, useful in our giftedness, release that which is within us, and then the glory of God fills. It fills the house. We, we see this moment in the life of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. I want us to make sure we have this picture complete. They built the tabernacle and the glory filled the tabernacle. They built the temple, and the glory filled the temple. It was within the temple. And then Jesus on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work was finished. And when the work was finished, then a cloud filled the sky and it covered the sun so that it was dark on the earth. And then, rather than the glory of God filling the house, there was a veil that was from top to bottom. And when the veil was split in two, the glory of God that had been contained, the glory of God that was not accessible to the people, that glory of God was released because the work was done. And when Jesus said, there's an hour that is coming, and now it is, when a true worshiper will not worship on this mountain, and a true worshiper will not worship on that mountain, but a true worshiper will worship in spirit and in truth, he was telling them there's coming a moment when the glory of God is going to be released. And wherever you are, if you gather with other people in his name, then that glory of God that has been released will now fill you so that I don't have to go to a temple in Jerusalem, but I can stand in a gathering of saints in Lakeland, Florida, and I can have the glory of God fill the house. And it's not a different glory. It's not a lesser glory. For the glory of God that filled the tabernacle is the same glory of God that filled the temple. It's the same glory of God that was released when the veil was torn. It's the same glory that fills this house. It's the same glory that they saw that I see. So I don't have to pray for a moment to happen. The moment is happening. I don't have to pray for revival to come. This is revival. The local church is the hope. The local church is the move of God on the earth right now. (laughs) 
And so we have this moment, though, of transition that was predicted. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 6, God, through the prophet, said, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I hope we see the language of Genesis and I hope we see the language of Acts. Genesis that was before this moment and Acts that came after this moment because Jesus said you're going to receive power and when you do receive that power, you will be a witness to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. We go to the ends of the earth to bring in everybody who has been called by the name of the Lord. That is everyone who will listen and hear him say, come. And so we bring them into the gathering, the church, the, the building that God is building for the purpose of his glory. We are together for the glory of God. This is not some carnal entertaining production where we just come in here and we dance around a little bit and we tell stories that make people feel better about themselves so that we go out and live the same miserable, sinful, carnal lives. This is a house that is built for the glory of God. In other words, it is the gospel of God that is declared and preached so that those who come in see the glory. And when you see the glory, there's a transformation that just happens. In the absence of the glory of God, there is the absence of transformation. If you want to know why there's a bunch of Christians walking around who do not demonstrate transformation, it's because they sit in houses where there's no glory. Empty people walk into empty places and they walk out with nothing. They came in with nothing, they leave with nothing. But when you come into a place with nothing that's full of the glory of God, you walk out with the glory of God. So he said, I want you to bring them from the ends of the earth. And I love the Genesis language here. He says, everyone called by my name, whom I created for my glory. And then he goes into this language of being formed and being made. In Genesis, we see that it was the man who was formed, but it was the woman who was made. Who was formed and who was made, they were created for the glory of God. We might have different purposes. We might have unique roles, but there is something that is common to all of us who were made in the image of God, and that is we are full of, filled with the glory of God. And so it was no longer about buildings and stones and wood. It was now about people who were being built up. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, not a carnal house, not an ungodly house. You are being built up as a spiritual house. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And sometimes we think that means that just the devil won't come at us. When he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, what he says is my church isn't gonna look like hell. My church isn't gonna look like the world. The gates of hell will not prevail against these people because these people say no. They're my house. 
That's the house he said I'm building. And so when we look and we see that there were, there were stones that were used and wood was used and they brought it from Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were brought in and they would build these massive lintels that would span from one space to the next and then they'd keep on stacking all the materials to build the temple. He said, I want you to go get the materials from the end of the earth and bring them in. But he wasn't talking about stones and wood. He was talking about the people of God. People of God who are called by his name people of God who are gifted not to just be brought in but who are called to become builders we're all called to be builders we're all called to be useful in the house and throughout the the weeks we've talked about our usefulness in the kingdom I don't complain because I might be a piece of wood stretched between two columns of stone because I serve a purpose of creating a gateway for people to walk in And I don't complain that I'm not the wood that creates a gateway because I was maybe a stone that's used to build a wall that keeps the gates of hell from prevailing against what is inside of the church. And so the stones, they don't say to the wood, I have no need of you. And the wood doesn't say to the stone, I have no need of you. Because if you put wood on the ground, it will rot. But you can't span stone across because it crumbles without something supporting it. So every single piece of lumber, every piece of gold was used with purpose in the building of the tabernacle and the building of the temple. And it's just the same with us. Every one of us who have different giftedness, we all have purpose in the house of God. And in the absence of the usefulness of our purpose, something doesn't get built the way that it should have been built. Oh, God uses everyone who says yes. And God works with what we give him to work with. But that doesn't mean it's everything that he desires it to be. You have to say yes. It's God's will that all would be saved, but right now all are not saved. Is it it yes or no that God wills that all men be saved? Yes. Are all men saved? No. So the same principle is applied. God might say, use your giftedness. And if you say no, that giftedness goes absent in his body. It goes absent. So there's something that we have to have weighing on us where we just can't say no. You are called, we are called to reflect the glory of God because we were created in his image, and after his likeness. So we reflect. Now, how is it that we reflect? Before we talk about giftedness, let's talk about what's common to all, because there are some things that are common to every one of us. It said everyone was created for the glory of God, but then he said some were formed and some were made. I was formed for one purpose, I was made for another purpose, but we're all created for the glory of God. What does it mean to all be created for the glory of God? There is something that is common to all. Every one of us. We all have spiritual disciplines that we are called to demonstrate. We are all spirit and soul and body. There is the renewal of the soul that is necessary for everyone whom God is building up as a living stone. See, you are built as a spiritual house in community, but individually you're a living stone. And there's something that he's doing and he's carving and he's making and molding you for usefulness in the building of his house. But that's something very personal. And all of us have to experience that personal work of Jesus molding us and shaping us. We all are called to be renewed in our mind. Because if you're not renewed in your mind by the gospel of God, you'll bring your own opinions, you'll bring your own agenda to his house. 
And when you bring your own ideas and your own agenda and your own thoughts into his house, we dilute his words with our words. We dilute his thoughts with our thoughts. But his thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. And so the only way that we can be transformed to him is if we are renewed by his word. So the word comes and renews us. Now, I don't know if you've submitted to the process of renewal, it's work. And the thing is, I mean, I don't know if this frustrates you. It frustrates me a little bit. It never ends. <laughs> like, it never, ever ends. Um, does anybody, you like, you care about your diet? Like, your diet matters to you. There's like five. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> You notice it doesn't matter how long you've been careful about what you eat. If you just say, well, that's it, and then you just go to eating whatever you want to, it's funny, all the work here doesn't project into here. Like I have to keep doing well. I have to keep eating well. I have to keep exercising. I have to keep doing these things, these, these physical disciplines in order to have physical health. It's the same with the mind. I can't just read the word on Monday and then fill my mind with trash on Tuesday or trash on Wednesday. No, I have to continually be being renewed by the word. I have to constantly fill myself with the word and live the word. I have to be, re that's what renewal is. It's the flow of the word into my thoughts, transforming my thoughts. What about, what about refreshing? Because this is hard work. I don't know how you are, but if all I do is renewal and I never experience refreshing, like I, it gets exhausting. Now all of a sudden preaching feels like somebody's beating me up because I have no refreshing. It's just renewal, 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 renewal. But what about this lifestyle of refreshing? That's a spiritual thing. Renewal is a soul thing. Refreshing is a spiritual thing. When he said, I will pray with my mind and I will pray with my spirit also. I will sing praise with my mind and I will sing praise with my spirit also. There is something to this prayer and this praise that is the releasing or the allowing what Jesus called were rivers of living water to flow through me. And from within me, these rushing rivers flow that actually refresh me. So in a season of prayer, I emerge refreshed, not depleted. In seasons of praise, I leave refreshed, not depleted. And so I might spend time in renewal and all excited only to step outside of the word and see this is a lot harder than I thought it was. This is far more complicated than I thought it was and it can beat me down a little bit and then I can step into this moment of prayer and praise and there is a refreshing. And so when I function both in soul and in spirit with renewal and refreshing, there's something that is liberating about the Christian life. And it's something that's required of all of us. And the only thing that, that kind of frustrates this is the, this body of mine. What do I do with this? The body has to be reset. The soul is renewed. The spirit is refreshed. The body has to be reset. This is 
depicted best in baptism. I want you to think about this. Um, we were told when we go out in the world and we preach the gospel that we are to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is commanded of all of us, every single one of us. If you said yes to Jesus, you should be baptized. And so we have this picture of baptism where the body is put in water. Then the body is buried in the water. When you are buried, that means everything you were in the flesh dies. You are buried. You, in this moment, you are aligning with the crucifixion and death of Jesus. You die to sin. And then you are raised to new life. You weren't raised up to reach down into the water and grab the old life step out of the water and live the way you lived before you got in the water. You died to whatever was and you are raised to whatever he says will be. And so in this, my body is reset. So I no longer am a slave to sin, but I am a slave to righteousness. I'm no longer following the world. Now I'm following the Spirit of God who is within me. And when, I'm, when I experience that reset, there is a lifestyle about me that is different than before. When my soul is renewed, my thoughts are different than before. When my spirit is refreshed, there is a joy and there is a peace that is present now that wasn't present before. And so in all of these facets, I am reflecting through reset, renewal, and refreshing. I am reflecting the image of God, Imago Dei. I look like him in the way that he created me to look. And so now though, like, is that it? Is like the goal to just be saved and be happy? Saved, filled, happy. Like, is, is that the goal? For many, that's the lifestyle. But there's something greater. And that is where he takes you as a living stone. And after he shapes you, you then allow him to place you in the body to fulfill the usefulness of what he shaped you for. And this is the usefulness of the gift that he has given you. Every single one of us, when we were created, every single one of us, when we were formed or made, he breathed within us his life, his spirit, that gave us a spirit, and within that spiritual moment, guess what? There's a spiritual gift, and it's always there. You didn't earn it. You didn't learn it in church. You might have heard about it so that it was awakened in church, but the gift you were born with, you already have it. You might be 50 years old and have never used it. I promise you it's been there for 50 years and nine months. I promise you, unless you were born early, then it's been there seven months and 50 years or whatever. But the gift is there. We, we just have to use the gift. And so if we could just talk for a minute about being useful in the giftedness that God has given us, because we don't just reflect him for our own good. We reflect him to use the gift for the good of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, he says very clearly to each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So now we're talking about the varied part, the part that you fulfill that might be different than the part that I fulfill. I was thankful this morning at the nine o'clock service, it was raining, and there are people that are out there in people movers, and they're keeping people from getting wet. They're just out there serving people. What is that? That's a gift. Service is a gift. They're picking people up. They're bringing them to the house of God. I don't know how you are about germs or not germs. I'm not always a huge fan of grabbing doorknobs. And um, I think it's pretty cool that somebody was willing to stand there, open a door for me, and let me in so I didn't have to touch anything. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than anything else. What is that? That's somebody who's serving in God's house. I'm thankful that people were serving out there. I'm thankful that somebody stood on this stage and worshiped. They sang. They gave me a vehicle to put my praise on top of that it might ascend to heaven. Because I don't know how you are, but if I just sat in here and somebody said, praise the Lord, that might take two minutes. If you don't give me song, if you don't give me lyric, if you don't like, okay, praise you, Jesus, because you're awesome. <laughs> praise you again because you're still awesome. Like, I'm thankful that they sing songs that give me lyric that I can put my praise on top of so I can give him all the glory that is due his name on this day. And I'm really thankful. I mean, singers are cool, but I'm really thankful that people get back here and play because I like singing to be on top of music. I like music. I like the guitars jamming back there. I like the drums just banging. I like that stuff when they hit those power chords on the piano. It moves me. I like it. I'm glad they are willing to do what they do. I'm also glad that somebody in the back that you never even get to see, who's just sitting on a computer like this, is throwing lyrics up on the screen. Because if they didn't put the lyrics up, I don't know how you are, I'd have no idea what they're singing. <laughs> and they could sing a song this week and they could come back and sing it next week and I still wouldn't know the lyrics. So I'm thankful that they put the words on there so that I know what to sing. And there's a whole bunch of you, I guarantee you, you're thankful that somebody said, I have a call to teach the gospel to children. And they are in rooms all around this campus teaching your children the gospel of God so that they can put the word in them. I'm thankful for all the gifts of the body that are useful in his house. I'm thankful for this. And every single one of those gifts are a unique demonstration of the fullness of who Jesus was by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at it like this. In John chapter three and verse 34, it said, Jesus, whom was sent from God, who utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So Jesus, the Son of God, was sent. Jesus was not created. Jesus was not made. Jesus was sent. Jesus, the Son of God, is co-equal and co-eternal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He was not made on the earth at the point that he was born. He has always been. He always will be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's no denial of who Jesus is. And Jesus, whom we know to be the second person in the Trinity, not second in the sense 
sense of lesser, but second in how we are oriented with God. Because we're not told that the Father is at the left hand of the Son, but rather we are first introduced to the Father and we're oriented with God by the Father, who then at His right hand is the Son. And surrounding is the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We understand this to be the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus was sent. He utters, hold that word, it's going to matter in 12 minutes. He utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had the Spirit of God without measure. What does that mean? It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. It said, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Him who? Didn't he already have the Spirit? Yes, but when the Word became flesh, it said the Spirit rested upon him, the manifestation of the Word, the Son of God. So the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, and the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. These are, are six uh, descriptions, indexes of the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God who was upon the Son of God. Uh, quick side note, we talked in our text today about this lampstand that was made. It's fascinating the lampstand and the demonstration of the lampstand because Moses was told, I want you, by God, I want you to build everything on the earth that is a reflection of what you just saw in heaven. So M Moses saw these burning lamps in heaven that he then created a lampstand, a sort of mimic that would be in that holy place. What is that lampstand with seven burning candles? It's representative of the seven burning flames of fire that are all around the throne of God. And when we saw the Lamb of God, he had seven eyes around his head and they were all seeing as the seven spirits of God that were reflecting of the seven burning fires around the throne of God. And then we later see in the end of the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God who's now on a horse and he had eyes like fire. I don't know what that does for you, but it's terrifying and it's beautiful all at the same time. And so the Spirit of God, the fullness of the Spirit, represented by all of this, rested upon Jesus in fullness. And so Jesus demonstrated every single gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus demonstrated all that the Spirit is. But we have the Spirit with measure. In other words, there's a part of him that he placed within us for the purpose of being demonstrated on the earth. You don't have everything. I don't have everything. If there's one thing that I have a complaint with churches like ours, we have a tendency because we emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit to sometimes think we don't need the work of the Holy Spirit in each other because we have him. And it's true, you have him, but you only have a measure of him. And the person next to you has a measure of him. And the person behind you has a measure of him. And we'll never see the fullness of him if we do not demonstrate the measure within us and we don't encourage and draw on the measure that's in someone else. There are people who don't use their giftedness in the body because nobody's pulling on it because we don't see the significance of who they are. But may the day come and may it be now where we recognize the fullness of God's move in every single one of us and we don't just look to ourselves for all that God is, but we look to everyone who he has placed around us because within those around us is the fullness of who he is. 
And so Jesus, though, demonstrated it all. But we won't. We'll only demonstrate a portion. Now, let me just say this for you this week for homework. Does anybody like homework? No one likes homework. Is anybody in right now and you're in the middle of a reading plan, a Bible reading plan for this year? I mean, we're 28 days. You're probably still in it. You haven't hit the genealogies yet, so you're still in. Okay, here, at the very least, if you can only read so much, just skip your reading plan this week. If you can read more, do both. But here's what I think would be a great idea. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and would you see all the things that Jesus was saying and doing? You can just, it may be a quick reference, just look for the red in your Bible. When you see the red, read around it. A few verses before, a few verses after, give you the idea. Skip black, 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 red, stop again. You'll get through it that way. I'm just trying to help you. I don't want you to give up in the middle of Matthew. I want you to make it all the way. But here's what I want you to see. You're going to see your heart wake up when Jesus is doing something that is demonstrating a gift in you that you're supposed to be reflecting. Like some of you that you have a gift of like acts of service or acts of mercy. You just have a very Samaritan nature about you, if I can say it that way. When you see Jesus feeding 5,000 people, that will wake up something in you. You'll be like, yes, see, everybody should be out there feeding people. Like, like that's, that's what Jesus did? Yes, but he did a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah, but that's all that matters. Yes, to you and your gift. And you let those words run deep and stir up that gift in you. And there are some others of you that you'll hit this moment where Jesus like healed somebody. And like, see, this is everything. It's all about Jesus healing, working miracles. That is something Jesus did, but he did other stuff as well. Like I read the feeding the 5,000. I think that's pretty cool. At least they didn't have to go home. It doesn't like whatever. I'm just being, I know I'm not supposed to. Okay, okay. Let me say the preacher statement. It's all awesome. It all excites me. Now the transparent statement. It doesn't all excite me the same way. And there are things that I read Jesus did that I know I need to demonstrate a measure of, but that's not my giftedness. Then I'll read where he took the scroll of Isaiah and he opened it up to the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And all of a sudden there's something on the inside that lights up. Jesus, the preacher. Jesus, the one who commanded us to take this gospel to every living person. There's something about Jesus, the preacher, that's exciting to me. You may look at that and say, that's, that's cool. Let me see the miracles, right? Why? Because there's a gift in you and you should be constantly in those spaces in the word that are waking up that gift in you because when that gift in you is awakened and the gift in me is awakened and the gift back there is awakened, all of a sudden the full measure of the spirit of God is actually in the house. And so we don't just hear preaching and we don't just see healing and we don't just experience miracles and we don't just feed people and we don't just lead people and we don't just give, but we do all of it. And all of it is the fullness of the full measure of the Spirit of God. 
And so now when we, when we use this, when we're active in this way, we see now God move in a way that usually we just pray for but never see. Sometimes we are praying for stuff when God is just saying, it's in you, just do it. We're wanting God to demonstrate your glory. And he says, my glory's already in you. I'm just waiting on you to release it. My glory has been in you for decades. And I'm just waiting on you to demonstrate my likeness that you are called to reflect. So we see this in Ephesians chapter four and verse seven. It says, but grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Jesus had the fullness and then to us, he gave a measure. And in verse 13, he moves on and he says, and he gave apostles and the prophets the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like we're all called to the unity of the faith. For us to be as one in faith, that means that we have to participate in the renewal process. What what happens a lot of times, I don't know if you've noticed this. This This is the, if I could complain a little bit, this is the modern version of unity. Everybody ignore the thing that's different about you and everybody come together and talk about the one or two things that everybody agrees with and ignore the 1,800 things that we're all wrong about. That's not unity. There's nothing unifying about that. It's just a boring conversation where no one's talking about what they really wanna talk about. Why? Because we can only talk about the stuff that we agree on, which is usually little. What is real unity? What is the unity of the faith? It is where I spend time in the word and you spend time in the word and we take our ideas and they literally are subverted to his ideas. And so now I'm saying, I want Jesus and everything that he says. And when you say, I want Jesus and everything that he says, and we all come together, we're unified in the gospel. We're not unified by our opinions. We're not identified by our ideas, but we come together as one because of the gospel. That's the goal until we all come to the unity of the faith. And he said, for building up, Sean, but didn't he say for building up the body of Christ? Yes, and the way that most of us interpret that is somebody's supposed to affirm me. No, build me up. No, you have no idea what that phrase means. It's not about building you up, making you feel better. It's about him taking us and shaping us and placing us. He's building us up. Like, have you ever been to a construction site? There's this thing called a dumpster at every construction site. 
You know what the dumpster is? That's where everything that was wasteful, everything that was unnecessary for the building of the building was discarded. And so you take a two by four and you cut off the garbage and you cut off what's not necessary and you use now what is left to be used in the building of the building. Or you take the block and you knock off the corner and you turn it or you cut the tile or you do whatever is necessary. You dig the hole and remove the excess dirt. You get rid of all the stuff that isn't necessary for the building. That is what building us up means. It is getting rid of what we don't need so that we're all coming together with what he's called us to be. That's building up the body of Christ. And then here's the thing that's absolutely beautiful though. That's what mature manhood is. What is, what does that mean? That's the reflection of who he is. And so now suddenly we're being built up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of him. And what is the purpose of that fullness? All the way back to the beginning of our text. What was the purpose of it? For the glory of the Lord to fill the house. When they finished the work, the glory filled the tabernacle. When they finished the work, the glory filled the temple. Then Jesus opened the veil for the glory to be released. And then he called the church together and there were 120 of them. And in Acts 2.2, it said, suddenly there came from heaven. And remember the cloud came first. Suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and it appeared to them, divided tongues like fire and it rested upon each one of them and they were all, every single one of them, they were all and they were all. Why were they all filled? Because in Acts 1, it said that they were all together in one place doing the thing that Jesus called them to do. He said, I want you to go sit in Jerusalem and I want you to wait. They weren't wandering around Jerusalem. They were all gathered in Jerusalem. They weren't all arguing about what was going on. They were praying for the fulfillment of the Father. They were all together in one accord. There was a unified mindedness because they had renewed their soul with the command of God. And so in this moment of renewed mindedness gathered in the place where he told them to gather, suddenly there was a cloud that came and descended upon the house. And then the fire of God rested on every one of them. And they all spoke with tongues. Here comes that word I promised 12 minutes ago. They all spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you release that which is on the inside of you, there is an utterance that is birthed by the Spirit of God. And when you release that utterance that is birthed by the Spirit of God, there is a glory of God that fills the house, a matchless glory of God. And when the glory fills the house, suddenly there is a manifestation. I don't want us to miss this because he talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, there was a manifestation of gifts. But in Romans 12, he talked about there were gifts that were to be used. And so every one of us, we have gifts that are to be used. When we use those gifts at our will, you can choose to serve. You can choose to lead. You can choose to give. You can choose to do acts of mercy. You can choose to teach. When you use your giftedness according to your 
will. The glory of God that is within you is then released into the room. But he made us a promise. He said there will also be a manifestation. And so when the glory that is within is released, there is a glory from above that comes from the throne of God. And when the glory comes down and it matches the glory that is from within, there is a manifestation. And the manifestation of the Spirit is miracles and healing and wisdom and knowledge and tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy and discerning of spirits. And we're all praying that God would move. And he's saying, you move first. You move first. You draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You take the glory that is within you and you release it and I'll let my glory come down because I'm looking for a people who will worship me. The glory is within. Now is the hour for what is in you to be released and the glory of the Lord will fill the house.